2: Welcome to the RotoWire Prospect Podcast. I'm Clay Link, along with RotoWire Lead Prospect Writer James Anderson. James, it is April fifteenth. Uh, we have made it halfway through April. It's hard to believe, given how long March seemed to last, but uh, we are at the halfway point of April. Um, uh, every day is kind of a new beast. It's every day is different, James. Even though I'm still sitting at home, but I just. I feel like every day is kind of wearing on me a little bit more.
3: I uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't really have anything to add. It's just is what it is.
2: Yeah, man. I, that's the thing. I do have to remind myself how lucky I am. But sometimes, you know, counting your blessings is something you have to remind yourself to do over and over. I have. Uh, this is exciting stuff. Uh, I have finished my video game. James, I know nobody cares but I have finished my home run derby pinball style game so that'll be launching uh, very soon on the PS4. It's kind of fun. I just you know, this creation aspect of it has uh, is very very fun and I've uh, been learning the ropes with logic and things like that. But what have you been getting into this uh this week since we last talked?
3: Uh, kind of just been working on a lot of stuff. I've been, uh, did some NBA podcasts with Nick Whalen, uh, did a couple fun ones. I did, talked about the upcoming NBA draft. It's probably going to get pushed back to sometime in August. Um, that was on Friday show and then, then recapped, uh, or rewatched a really good playoff game from the mid two thousands. So if anyone, Happens to like NBA as much as I do and also like baseball prospects. You might want to check out those podcasts I did with Whalen and then, uh, been working on a couple pretty big projects. Uh, a set, I'm, I'm working on a set of dynasty rankings where there'll be a top 300 for people that are trying to rebuild in their dynasty leagues. And then a top 300 for people that are trying to contend in their dynasty leagues. And then I'm also, uh starting on my prep for the amateur market the draft obviously is up in the air and the j2 signing dates up in the air but i'm working on putting together some big boards for for those two uh markets so just a lot of a lot of irons in the fire a lot of projects um a lot of a lot of stuff to keep me busy
2: that's exciting stuff i like that idea of Different dynasty lists for people who are competing and people who aren't. I love that idea. That's, uh, that's exciting stuff, James. You are a hardworking man and I'm looking forward to seeing the byproduct of, of that work soon. Um, you know, James, this whole thing has gotten, uh, crazy and we're still trying to, you know, find little ways to have fun. And one of those ways has been the baseball pods tournament. And we did get bounced, but at least we made it to the elite eight, the RotoWire Fantasy Baseball Podcast. I was proud of that, and no shame in losing to our buddy Toby at Bat Flip Crazy. Shout out to him! And I just wanted to say again thanks to everybody who voted for us. Very cool to see that support.
3: Yeah, this was a uh, this was a fun project uh, or a fun kind of tournament, and yeah, we were honored to get that one seed. Honored to get the uh, what was it? five seed and with the prospect podcast so
2: yeah that's um too kind of the guy who put it together but no i i like that uh, i think his name is chris uh, very nice of him to give us such favorable seating
3: yeah we 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 didn't live up to the favorable seating with the one seed but uh looks like only one one seed got to the final four uh, a lot of upsets in this bracket a lot of uh
2: a lot like March Madness, yeah.
3: Yeah, really. I mean, a lot of a lot of teams are gaining momentum.
2: And a uh, lot of close games, like a lot of fifty-seven <laughs> forty-three. Yeah. Games, yeah. Uh, it was good stuff, and again, no shame in losing. Appreciate all you who voted, and at least we, you know, we have an elite podcast. That's all that matters. Um, <laughs> Absolutely made it to the elite eight, so we are officially elite. Uh, nobody can take that away from us. But James, looking at your latest article, which as we speak is in the hopper, going to be pushed live to the site soon, continuing your ranking dilemma series, prospects in the 76 to 100 range. And uh, I really am enjoying this series. And we've talked a little bit about Simeon Woods Richardson, who is the 76th ranked prospect here. Tariq Skubel right behind him. Jordan Belazovic uh, or Belazovic, and Daniel Lynch. So some pitchers bunched up here. Uh, Logan Gilbert in this mix too. Uh, Tariq Skubal's and a guy I know you've been a little bit lower on, but you're kind of you find yourself bumping him up a little bit. What's behind that?
3: Uh, I, I, it's he's just a really tough guy for me to rank. I, I listed him in the um, I, I listed a lot of guys in the might-be-too-low section this week because we're getting down there. You know, we're, we're no longer in the top 50, no longer in the top 75. So uh, in some cases, you know, you just have to end up ranking really talented players in this section of the top 100. So there's just a lot of guys where I, I wish I could rank them higher. Uh, Scooble is just... Someone where I, you know, he was, he was a pop-up guy and I think the secondary stuff is inconsistent, Um, not sold on the command being that great, but the performance has been excellent. His fastball is a a monster pitch and I kind of touched on, you know, I think with Scoble, if you, if you read the article, Scooble, Lynch, Gilbert, and Braylon Marquez, I, I list them all as guys I could be too low on, and they're all very, very similar where they just have big-time fastballs and then varying degrees of secondary stuff. And it's just kind of – you know, I, I discuss sort of how that can still sometimes work with, with just a big fastball, and the other stuff plays up. And I might have a bit of a bias – against guys where I I don't think the repertoire is super deep, but there's plenty of examples of guys without super deep repertoires still having success in the big leagues. And and there's a chance that Scoogle could be one of those, one of those guys.
2: Yeah, man, I think there is that inconsistency with those secondaries that you mentioned, just that inherent injury risk that we've talked about a lot. Like I think, uh obviously you could be too low on a, any number of guys but that the track record and the history shows that a large number of these pitching prospects are just going to be wiped out set back numerous years by injuries so um i find this bunch pretty pretty interesting and uh is it belazovic i always forget uh the pitcher for uh minnesota jordan belazovic
3: uh I'm not a hundred percent. I know there's a, there's a video that got uh, tweeted out by Twins PR at the beginning of spring training. I think it's. I I want to say Bolasovich. Okay. Uh, I'll look but into that's. It. <laughs> I mean, it, it's not not a big deal.
2: <laughs> yeah, I do like to get these things right, though. Eventually, uh, just for the players' sake, yeah, you know, I don't want to disrespect them. But I will look into that eventually, and he'll probably be making a name for himself. Um letting us all know the correct pronunciation soon. Cause the K's for him just out of this world And the walks really were were strong, especially at low A before he, he bumped up to high A. Uh but the the K's, the innings are a question though. What kind of are you kind of fifty fifty on him panning out as a starter? Would you give his chances uh would you give him better chances than that, worse chances? What do you think?
3: Better. Uh, You know, innings, I'm not concerned about. Um, It's really just how does the changeup come along? What does his command end up being when he's in the big leagues? Uh, He's got a really good body, so really not not concerned about uh, anything in that regard. I mean, if he he moves to the bullpen, it'll, I mean, it it would probably be injury related. Like, he he would probably have to suffer a a significant injury at some point soon and then that would be the source of the durability concerns. Uh, I think he's – it's just kind of, is he going to be a, a number two starter? Is he going to be a number three? Um, I, I I just really like him. I'd, I'd be pretty surprised if he ended up in the bullpen.
2: Wow, okay. So number two, number three, pretty safe, sounds like. I mean, relatively safe for a pitching prospect. That's interesting. Um, three big fallers who you caution you might be too low on. Ronnie Mauricio, J.J. Bladé, and George Valera. Valera really plummeting, and we've talked a little bit about it, but can you elaborate on just what has caused George Valera of the Indians to sink like this?
3: Yeah, his his body, and then um, consequently his speed have have really gone in the wrong direction over the past couple of years. He. I was looking back at the outlook I wrote for him for the 2019 RotoWire Baseball magazine, and I said he could be a center fielder who has a plus hit tool and chips in 10 to 20 steals. Now he's, you know, his hit tool used to be his top trait, and he seemed like he could be a five category guy, big time pedigree. Uh, from the international market a few years ago. But since then, it's starting to look like he probably fits best in left field. He has thickened up, so I I just don't see the stolen bases being there anymore. And now it's starting to look like it's power over hit, which is not ideal for his age. Like I, I would much rather him just work on getting that foundation at the plate because the power was always going to come, like he was always going to be a twenty-plus homer guy, and then just this this past season, it seemed like he really kind of fell in love for hitting for power. Uh, but there's plenty of ways where he could still turn into a pretty exciting fantasy piece. I mean, he he missed so much time before last year that you could you could definitely make a case that we can kind of. Uh, expect better things from him now that he he got that sort of first full pro season under his belt. Uh, You know, he might've just been knocking off some rust. Um, He was one of the youngest players in the New York Penn league. So maybe we shouldn't get too worried about the strikeouts um, and the low batting average. And then, you know, he's, he's a hard worker. Uh, He's still just 19 years old. So it's just, it's dangerous to, start saying with confidence that he, he's not going to be able to do stuff uh, but I, I just think he's no longer that five category uh, high floor high upside guy he's still got a, a he's still got a chance to be a middle of the order run producer but now that he's no longer a center fielder puts more pressure on his bat um, he's just not the kind of dynamic uh, high upside a really prized prospect that he he could have been if he had performed like I expected him to perform last year and if his body had sort of stayed where it was a couple of years ago.
2: God, if, if the body had stayed where it was a couple of years ago, that's the story as old as time. And uh, yeah, he's, you know, if you're an Indians fan, it has to be a little troubling or a little disappointing to see him plummet like this, but they still have a great system. You, You think this is the best system in baseball, right? City? No. Uh, yeah, I thought, um, thought it's, it was. It's, uh,
3: it's one that could be the best. Deepest, system. right? It's, it's the deepest. Yeah, yeah the, the deepest. I remember
2: we talked about it, and you like the, the depth. Maybe not that high-end talent yet, but you like the, the depth throughout that Indian system. So they're in, in good shape long-term, even with George Valera's stock slipping a little bit. And, you know, Bladey, he was the fourth overall pick in last year's draft. I saw him down in Jupiter when I was visiting my dad last summer, and I tried to put that out of my mind. You know, it's, it's stupid, like one game sample, three at bats or whatever, but I did not think much of uh, what I saw. Again, completely meaningless, sub- uh, you know, subjective, but I, I saw that and I was like, eh, not seeing it. And the, really, the overall body of work in, in 38 games at his pro debut was really underwhelming.
3: Yeah, um, uh, he gets a pretty big pass, you know, in, in some, uh, areas because he was just, you know, it was an aggressive assignment. They sent him straight to high A, like Adley Rutschman and Andrew Vaughn opened up in, uh, the lower levels and Vaughn didn't even make it to high A or, uh, Rutschman didn't even make it to high A, Vaughn <laughs> did, but, uh Blade was taken after those guys, and he was given a more aggressive assignment than both of those guys, and he was playing in a pitcher-friendly league, so there's a lot of contextual stuff uh, that make his debut uh, seem a little less like a red flag than it, than it might just on paper, uh, but I kind of kept coming back to just sort of what what is this guy's like realistic ceiling? And what's his realistic floor? And I think it the, you know, there's a chance. Really, his junior year at Vanderbilt was the only time he hit for for big time power. Uh, so there's a chance that that could have just been kind of a, a blip, and maybe he's only like a twenty to twenty five homer guy, and he could still be you know someone that hits three hundred something like that. Uh, but I just I don't see him having that sort of massive impact in fantasy in those four categories. He's not going to contribute much with his legs, so it's, it's really got to be a high average with power, middle of the lineup type of thing. And he could slow down. Like, I don't love his body. I mean, you, you saw him in person. Like, it, it's not like he's just a, a sleek, chiseled, you know, really athletic type of guy. Uh, he could slow down a little bit, in the next couple of years and that might make him, you know, right now I think he's a solid defender in the two outfield corners, but if he's only a fringe average defender in a couple of years, then there's a chance that he could be strong side platooned. I mean, he, he didn't hit lefties at all in his debut. That's a small sample too, but um, there's just, I don't think there's the type of ceiling that I'd like to see there uh, for me to just sort of give him the benefit of the doubt on that debut, and he's still a top 100 prospect, but um, I just think when I when I wrote his outlook uh, this offseason, I, I kind of came to the conclusion that his upside was not high enough for me to just sort of give him that benefit of the doubt and keep him in the top 50.
2: I will say this, it did seem like the park in Jupiter is pretty spacious, yep. uh, pretty tough to hit him out. He did hit 27 with Vanderbilt and 71 games this senior year, or I guess this final year at Vanderbilt. So there is some pop there, but, you know, going from the metal bats, the aluminum to wood, hard to know how much that power is going to transfer.
3: Yeah. I, you know, I could see him being kind of like, uh, you know, maybe like Jesse Winker, but better defensively, um, like that type of thing where it's just, you know, you know, he's a good hitter, but, he's not so good that he needs to be in the lineup every day like you know if he's only a 23 24 25 homer guy over a full season uh and he's not really making an impact in the field you might want to give him a platoon partner so that's that's sort of where i'm at with bidet i wouldn't expect them to platoon him right out of the gate because they did use the fourth overall pick on him but uh, just, I think he's a good prospect. I don't think he's a, you know, when you see number four overall pick, you know, I, I don't really think he's got that type of upside, really, for fantasy.
2: Yeah, I think the Marlins would probably like to have that one back if they could, even less than a year later. But there's still, obviously, a lot of time for Blade to, to establish himself and work some things out. Obviously, that pick's not looking so great now, but how would you, if you had to, and I'm making you right now, James, Grade this Marlins rebuild so far. How, how do you think they're doing with getting things in place for the future?
3: I think they're doing a great job. They've probably got a uh, I don't know borderline top ten system in baseball, Pro- probably top ten. Um, you know, they've just got so much good pitching on the big league roster and on the way. Uh, they're a little light on. Uh, position player prospects who are close to the majors. Um, I mean, they've got Jazz Chisholm, they got Bud Day, they got Monte Harrison, Cameron Misner. Um, but it's not like they've just got this loaded like trio or loaded um, foursome of of guys where it's like you know that that's going to be the the lineup of the future for them. Um, but they were coming from a, a pretty bad spot. Like they had one of the worst systems in baseball a couple of years ago, and obviously they didn't get the type of returns that you'd want to get from all the the trades they made in their rebuild. But the you know, I mean, the Marcelo Zuna trade I think is starting to look pretty good with with Sandy Alcantara and. Uh, the John Carlos Stanton return is not looking good but it was never really looking good that was basically here's a massive contract please take it off our hands it's really just the, the Yelich trade is, is what's kind of slowed the rebuild a little bit but um, I think that given that how bad the Yelich trade was I still think they're in a pretty good spot right now all things considered
2: yeah when you have that trade setting you back that things look okay when you zoom out a little bit and look at the big picture Uh, I'm glad we got our obligatory Sandy Alcantara reference in, too. That is always good. And finally, among those big three fallers, James, Ronnie Mauricio. And you explain here in your article that it's, well, speed, not really an aspect, so he's capped as a four-category guy. And there's still growth necessary for him to hit that as a viable four-category producer.
3: Yeah, I think that's what... Really, what uh, Valera, Mauricio, and Bode all kind of have in common as big risers, where um, they didn't really do anything um, in that span where they where they dropped. They didn't really do anything to deserve it. It was just when I was going in and doing my deep dives on all three of them, I just sort of realized that the ceiling. Was not quite as high as I thought it was, and then with Mauricio and Valera specifically, um, if you're if you're kind of limited as four category guys and you're two to three years away from the big leagues, uh, you really have to have a kind of established level of like yeah, it's a easy plus hit tool plus power. Um, for you to give them the benefit of the doubt and, and put them in the top 50. I, I kind of put the cart before the horse with Mauricio. I mean, you, you can put guys, you can put teenage hitters in the top 20, in the top 15 when there's a little more certainty and there's a little more ceiling. But I think if, if everything goes perfectly for Mauricio from now until he reaches the big leagues, we're still probably talking about a guy who is tops out as like a top 15 prospect. Um, he doesn't really have like number one prospect in baseball type of upside, uh, for me just because of the lack of speed.
2: Um,
3: so he's, you know, I think he's got a bright future, but I think this is one where he'll eventually kind of get into that top 20 and I'd kind of put him there prematurely, um, prior to sort of doing that deep dive.
2: Yeah, 34 at the end of last season, down to 88, then a little bit back up to 83. So a pretty significant slide in the top 100 for Ronnie Mauricio. James, I said last week that we'd have to have a little chat about Nick Lodolo. Um, (laughs) Actually, I can't really gripe because he actually hasn't fallen much. I thought he had fallen in your rankings. He really hasn't. In fact, he's bumped up a little bit, but um, come on, man. as a Reds fan, you know, this season maybe being wiped out is such a heartbreaker because I really thought they would be competitive this year. But uh, what's uh, the drawbacks with Ladola? What are you seeing that you kind of don't love? Nothing,
3: really. Uh, I don't think where I have him is a slight at all. I think he's he's right where he deserves to be. You know, I mean, he's he's probably a number three, maybe a chance to be a number two, but he's just doesn't have a ton of experience in pro ball yet. Uh, I mean, he's he's a good pitching prospect. I I'd have I have no real issues with him. That's
2: fair. I just you know seeing Alec Manoa over him last week uh, was a little bit of a tough pill to swallow. But I get it. I I like Ladolo. He's fine. But I guess you know for fantasy, there's just maybe not that kind of ace upside. That even maybe number two upside.
3: I just I don't want to say what it is like he could I mean he's got the size um he's got the command he's got a deep repertoire I I wouldn't really put any bounds on what he could be in in a few years but it's just like there's not that sort of obvious like a couple monster pitches like yeah yeah. you know it's it's just it's a it's a process we'll see where he is in in a couple of years yeah I mean, the, like it's not like nobody would have said Shane Bieber had ace upside when he was a prospect. Like it's it's yeah. dangerous to sort of say this guy does not have ace upside. Like I, I wouldn't say that about Lodolo, but I he's not he's not someone where I would include the word ace in his outlook right now. Sure,
2: sure, that makes sense. Uh, Braylon Marquez, a big riser uh, from you know back half of the, the one hundred to two hundred range, in, firmly inside the top one hundred. Uh, Braylon Marquez, you, you like quite a bit. Um, you knew even not a guy that you caution you may be too high on. So, uh, what is it that about Marquez that you kind of found? What stone did you turn over that led you to really bump up, uh, Braylon Marquez?
3: Um, yeah, I mean, he's one of the guys I mentioned as, as guys that I could be too low on, uh, with just those, those four big time fastball guys. Uh, my, and the thing that all four of those guys have in common as well is that they've never been like my guys. Like they've never, like I wasn't high on any of them pre-draft. I mean, Marquez was international, but uh, like, it's not like I was ever super high on any of these guys. Uh, and I didn't like love them at any point in 2018 or 2019. So they've, they've all kind of faced sort of an uphill battle in in my rankings um, because of that. Uh, whereas, you know, a guy like, George Kirby or Clark Schmidt, like those are guys I've, I've really been on. So they sort of get that extra bump because they started from a, a higher place. Uh, Marquez, he just, you know, he didn't have uh, amazing numbers last year, but the reports on his stuff were, were very encouraging. He was able to uh, develop a more repeatable delivery and that that's kind of taken some of the reliever risk off. Although I think there's still plenty of reliever risk with Marquez, um, but kind of before um, before the season, I would have said there was there was a ton of reliever risk with him. But he he made strides last year to kind of you know you can start to dream a little bit more on the chance of him being. Uh, top of the rotation number two type of starter just given how good his fastball is but the the secondary stuff needs work he needs to get a lot more consistent with the slider and the changeup, uh, especially the changeup. and then you know we'll, we'll see how many strikes he throws in the upper levels sometimes guys can get by with with pretty good walk rates in the lower levels but then when they start face facing hitters that have a better plan of attack and they they could start to look like that's a a bit more of a weakness. So we'll we'll see where he goes. He's he's a tough guy to rank because I think the ceiling's really high. The floors, you know, the floor is just that he never really gets a long look as a starter. So um, not a guy that I would say I I love, but a guy that I could definitely see in a year from now. Uh, I could have been too low on him here.
2: And a couple of years ago, when Xavier Edwards came out, I think you were relatively high on him. But, you know, he's traded. Now he's on a crowded roster in Tampa Bay. uh, And still only one home run as a pro. He has hit over 300 at every professional stop. Still only 19 – oh, he's 20 years old. Power unlikely to develop. Um, Is it mostly the trade to Tampa Bay that has led Xavier Edwards to be bumped down a little bit?
3: Yeah, yeah yeah it's it's mostly that um you know they just are so loaded everywhere yeah if a guy's not going to hit for power are they really going to give him an everyday job when they've just got all these other options um i could see him kind of finding himself in a mild straw type of situation where like I love Miles Straw. If, if Miles Straw was on the Royals or the Tigers or something, I would just have him in every single league. Uh, but we we just can't really expect significant playing time this year. And I could see that being the case with Edwards in a few years, where he's he's up and he's just this overqualified utility player for the best team in baseball. And we're just we keep hoping for an injury or we hope for a trade like that type of thing. Um, but I also said that I mean, like, there's a chance that he could just be such a good hitter and such a versatile defender that he's their leadoff man and kind of a '90s Indians Kenny Lofton type of way, which would make this ranking look really bad. Uh, I mean, there's there's a lot of different outcomes with him. He could get traded, and then all of a sudden his value spikes again. But I just think the Rays are so loaded that it's tough to just. Say with any confidence that he'll be more than a bench piece.
2: Yeah, I, I'm assuming you wrote Edwards' outlook for this this year. Yeah, um, you described him as D Gordon with better on base skills. It's a high end comp. Um, that's nice and all, but maybe that is you know on a on a World Series contender. Maybe that is a utility player. I mean, D, D Gordon yeah. at his well, prime, and his prime was pretty good, but uh, at today's age. Where those kind of speed guys are de-emphasized, maybe he's not a starter.
3: Yeah, I mean, it, it, part of it will be his defense too. I mean, D Gordon was never uh, that that much of a defensive mm-hmm. asset, and he was kind of limited to second base. Uh, if Edwards is, let's say, he's like passable at short, really really good at second, and really really good in center field, which is which that that's that's definitely an outcome that could could be possible for him uh if that happens then maybe he maybe he can squeeze his way in there maybe if he's posting these like 400 obp 300 average maybe they can justify leading off with him and, and letting the rest of their guys uh provide the thump um so you never you never want to say never but uh yeah it's it was not a great trade and i remember when the trade happened i I didn't think it was that big of a downgrade at the time just because I was like, well, the Padres are loaded too. Like where was he going to necessarily play for them? I mean, he was probably going to be, be behind CJ Abrams at some point. Um, but I think the Padres are less platoon inclined than the Rays and the, and the Rays just at the end of the day still just have uh, a much more loaded organization, I think top to bottom at this
2: point. Very interesting. And sticking on the Rays, Shane McClanahan's been a big riser. I think he uh, is very interesting. Again, you don't want to kind of label a guy as, oh, he's got A stuff, he doesn't have A stuff, but I think McClanahan last year showed that he is very capable of being a viable Major League pitcher for many years to come, and there may be some sneaky upside there.
3: Yeah, he's someone where I didn't I didn't move him on my rankings until after January 1st because I I think I probably wrote his outlook uh, late December or something like that. And then adjusted his or adjusted the top 400 after the new year. Uh, He's another guy where if he was in a different organization, I think I'd like him more just because it would be much more likely that he would be given a, a long opportunity to develop as a starting pitcher, but he could be a really dynamic weapon for them in like four or five inning stints. Uh, could even just be a elite late inning reliever for them. Uh, I still think they'll develop him as a starter for now, but again, they just have they have a lot of depth. you just you just never know what the role is going to be. He could be big league ready and could be the seventh starter on the depth chart and uh, we could kind of go through an annoying phase where it's just like, when is McClanahan going to get his shot in the rotation? Uh, but yeah, I think if, if he does get his shot and he's able to stay healthy and able to show he can handle a starter's workload, that that's still kind of a thing too. He's he's a little little undersized. Uh, so we, we don't know if he can really handle 170-plus innings. But if he does show that, he does have the type of stuff uh, where he could be pitching near the front of their rotation.
2: Yeah. Oh, man, we list him as six one one eighty eight. He's maybe packed on a little bit of a weight since, but uh yeah, he did run into some trouble at double A after getting the move up, but he still had a twenty one to six K to walk in eighteen in a third inning. So really the overall season, hundred and twenty and two thirds innings really is pretty strong for him. Uh McClanahan and yeah, once you get to double A, you're, you're not far off. But it could be one of those like Brendan McKay situations where there's just, you know, he's up and down and then a little fatigue sets in. So maybe like, uh, you know, maybe McC- McClanahan's a guy to kind of wait and there may be a buying opportunity that springs up uh, when he first gets his feet wet in the big leagues. James, anybody else you want to mention? Nick Solak, Jared Oliva two names here uh anybody in particular that we didn't touch on yet
3: uh let's talk about mitch keller quickly um you can as you can see from where i've had him ranked i just cannot get a good feel for where i want to have him um i had him barely inside the top 150 at one point i had him top 70 at one point now he's barely inside the top 100 so uh, been kind of wishy-washy about where I've had Keller ranked. Really, it if he was in my organization, I would really look at changing his pitch usage quite dramatically. And I, I think that that's possible that the Pirates do that. Because um, the fastball like just
2: got rocked, right?
3: Yeah, and he threw it 60% of the time. I think he should be throwing his slider at least 40% of the time and his curveball at least 20% of the time. And then basically use his fastball as as little as possible, but that's, that's a tough, you know, for, for a guy who's had pitchability issues and sequencing issues, uh, for the past couple of years, it's tough to necessarily make that leap. You know, if, you, if you've just been pitching off your fastball your entire career, um, uh, changing it that dramatically to where you're really relying on your two breaking balls, that's a, that's not, that's a lot easier said than done. Uh, I think if he just continues to pitch the exact same as he's always pitched, I don't think he'll be that successful, but uh, I basically think I'm either going to end up being too high or too low on him. Like, I I don't think he's going to end up being like the 98th, Best prospect from this this prospect class. He'll either be much better than that if he's able to make the necessary adjustments, or he'll be worse than that. So I just as I as I said, I'm not I'm not zoned in on Mitch Keller. Like I don't I don't have a perfect read of how this is going to play out. But I think there's there's the talent there to definitely make it work. He just kind of has to adjust uh, his
2: usage. Mitch Keller seemed to be pretty much everybody's favorite sleeper in draft season, it seemed like, or at least a very popular sleeper. And I just, quite honestly, I didn't see it. I know that the estimators are pretty favorable and, you know, the BABIP looks high and it looks like he got quote-unquote unlucky, but I've said many times I don't like the unlucky-lucky analysis. And really when you're getting crushed like that, there's a reason you're, you know, obviously (laughs) your BABIP's so high. Like, your fastball is getting rocked around, you can't just regress that bab to the the league norm. Um, and bad team, it's a favorable park, but uh, I just I didn't see him. I thought there were other better darts among starting pitchers in his range yeah. I did
3: not I d I didn't I didn't make this comp because he wasn't going high enough to really qualify. And I do kind of have a I don't think I, there, there isn't a this year's Nick Pavetta every year. There isn't a this year's Juan Soto every year. Like that's just kind of a, a lame way to analyze guys. But everyone had their this is my this year's Nick Pavetta, and mine would have been Mitch Keller if he'd get been getting drafted high enough. But you didn't have to pay that that premium on him. But just to me, like the this year's Nick Pavetta basically is just the guy where everyone looks at his ex fit. And says, oh, he's going to do that this year. Um, And that's.
2: (laughs) XFIP regresses, you know, those hard hit ball numbers, home runs, and you you just can't apply that blanket regression across the board. You have to dig deeper than that. And things under the hood, to me at least, did not look so great with Mitch Keller. Again, the estimators, some of them look okay, but sometimes there's a reason why those estimators don't match up. And that's because, again, sometimes those regressions that seem likely uh, don't apply to all. James, really good stuff. Look forward to seeing this when it's published live to the site. Should be pretty soon here, probably by the time you're listening to this. Farm Futures, Ranking Dilemmas, Prospects 76 to 100. Anything else on your mind before we move on to the hip-hop draft?
3: Uh. I'm doing a – our buddy, Derek Van Riper started a, a fantasy baseball triathlon, and I'm doing that tonight. The first leg of that is the mixed auction, and there's going to be an NL-only auction and an AL-only auction. Uh, and then it's sort of like a where did you finish in all three leagues, and that determines who won the triathlon thing, and it's for a good cause uh, for Second Harvest, a food bank here in Wisconsin. So – uh, we'll be able to discuss some of that on on upcoming XM shows. I, partly, I did it. I did it to uh, support the the good cause and to just give us some content to talk about. Um, <laughs> I so that. I I am gearing up for what should be a four hour auction or so tonight. Um, so that's something I guess to look forward to, even though I. Uh, Really, I'm probably a little behind on my prep because I just have not been thinking um, along those those lines for for a while. But uh, I'm sure I'll be able to go get my guys, and uh, you'll probably be able to guess half my roster before I show it to you.
2: Yeah, keep that 100% Alcantara exposure going uh, <laughs> tonight, and look forward to talk. We'll probably talk about that a good on a good chunk of uh, the Friday XM show. XM free streaming now through May 15th, by the way. So if you want more of us, you can check that out streaming online. Um, Yeah, I saw that field for that triathlon that Derek put together. Really great field of players and really cool thing of of Derek to do. So it's really cool to see. And, you know, just doing something good for the community in this time, I think is, is really great. So look forward to seeing that. I, um... I think you are up, right? I took Dre, or not Dre last week. Who did I take last week? Guru. Or no, I'm, I'm lost on the hip-hop draft, James. Where are we?
3: You took uh, Dr. Dre uh, two weeks Slick ago, Rick. and then you took Slick Rick. Yeah. That's right.
2: I got down a Slick Rick rabbit hole, too. I don't know how I forgot that. Um, the Art of Storytelling, one of the greatest music videos of all time. Uh, with OutKast. So it is me up uh, for for one here as we snake in this, and I
3: already had... actually actually uh, no because I
2: okay. no
3: because I took I took Q Tip first two weeks ago, and then you took Dre, and so then, I, I think you took Slick Rick first, sorry, and then so it's so back to me.
2: I've not been keeping. You know, I know I know that tabs I, in I, my I, head, but I've not been looking is the at the ninth sheet. round.
3: And I know that I'm the odd numbers because I got ghostface with the first pick.
2: Well, I'm sorry, but okay. You are up, not me. So who are you taking this week in the hip hop draft?
3: I am going to take, this is probably my last pick where I'm taking a guy, um, because I'm worried about you eventually taking him. Um, like, I think after after this week, I'll basically just be taking best available, uh, because I think we're deep enough now where uh, there won't be a ton of overlap on who we're trying to get. Um, but yeah. this week, I will be taking Scarface to fill my second Dirty South spot.
2: Ooh, that's a pretty good one. You know, I like Scarface quite a bit. Um he, honestly, I was not looking at him. I mean, he was kind of on the board, but I was not considering him in the immediate future. But I like the pick, you know. He had some really good albums. Was it uh, something ghetto, My my Ghetto or something? Uh, my Block? My Block, that's what it is. I'm, I'm embarrassed that I didn't know that. Um, look, James, I'm not an authority on hip-hop, Okay. We well, we talk hip hop, but and I I listen to it. I'm a fan, but I am not some some authority on the, the subject.
3: So I have a lot of choices for what my song is going to be, um, but I'm gonna I'm gonna throw you a bone on this one, and I, I don't even know if you know about this song, but uh, it's smart uh, with a Z. Uh, and it's off of his album, The Untouchable, from 1997. And it features none other than Devin the Dude.
2: Ooh, I thought you were going to say, um, I can't even say the name of the song on this, the show. But um, let me look at what the <laughs> edited version was called. Because there there was another Scarface and Devin song that was absolutely fantastic. Um, And there's a really good video, too, featuring Tila but I can't say the name because it's got a swear in it.
3: You can't even, like, just say the first level okay, so letter of the swear word?
2: F faces. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's a great song and a great video if you get a chance to check that out. Uh, but I, I do love seeing Devin find a spot on your list. That's actually shocking to me.
3: Hey, I, mean, I'm, I just I just call him how I see him. I don't I don't give preferential treatment i just reward productivity
2: one of the highlights of my 2019 was seeing devin live here in madison front row and uh <laughs> our friend Numi, the guy who makes the intro for the show very popular intro he opened for devin the dude and i think i was That's... more geeked about that than he was yeah um, yeah <laughs> I really do. I'm gonna take my third Wu Tang member, James. I'm adding to the RZA and Raekwon. I'm adding the Genius. I'm adding Jizza to the mix. Is he a lyricist or an East? Coast? Yeah, I'm gonna plug him into a lyricist spot. East East Coast is so deep. Oh,
3: uh, hey. No- uh, pause. Hold on a second. I gotta pick up. I gotta answer the door really
2: quick. Okay. I'll. Uh, go on about the genius for, yeah, well, yeah. obviously um, Legend of the Liquid Sword an, an absolute classic and really the follow ups to that underrated uh, Legend of the Liquid Sword very underrated but his most underrated album is his uh, collaboration with DJ Muggs Sorry, called Grand it, Masters sir. thank you as James gets the door, Grand Masters. I know I've said that, you know, Raekwon's Shallon vs. Wu Tang was the most underrated album of all time. Uh, I said that about uh, some other album recently. Oh, Tash's Rap Life. I take all that back, and now I'm going to say Grand Masters is actually the the most underrated hip hop album of all time. Wow. DJ Mugs and the Jizza. And my song I'll be picking is from that album. It's a tribute to Old Dirty Bastard, uh, ODB, featuring the RZA, all in together now. Uh, really great stuff. So give that album, Grandmasters, a listen. If you haven't, I highly recommend it. One of my did, favorites.
3: Did you uh, get a chance to watch the DJ premiere versus RZA battle? Uh, no, oh, I heard battle? about that.
2: And somebody tweeted at us about it, but I didn't, didn't see it.
3: I... I watched like the first hour and a half last night. I'm probably gonna watch the final hour of it. How was it? What were they doing?
2: Just playing songs back and forth.
3: Yeah. Well. So um, RZA wasn't as chatty as I was hoping he would have been. DJ, you know, Primo was really entertaining and was really into it. And it was. I think it was probably like his idea, maybe. Mm -hmm. Um, But they were they would give, you know, some like nuggets about sort of how certain songs came about and like what the recording process was and stuff like that. But it was mostly just like, you know, they would kind of start. um, They they each played 20 tracks. Uh, They weren't, I don't think they were all 100 produced, 100% produced by each guy, but I think they were all tracks that they maybe had a hand in. Uh, and then it was just, it was kind of like a battle, like a producer sort of back and forth, um, you know, sort of almost like a boxing match where you sort of score each round, that type of thing. Um, and it was, it was pretty cool.
2: Sounds kind of cool. Who would you give the edge to from what you saw?
3: Uh, Primo, I think he, I think he was picking, um, from the top of his the top of his deck a little bit more like Mm rizza rizza had you know multiple odb songs where you know he had like shimmy shimmy and brooklyn zoo and like i i love odb i love those songs i don't think i would have used both of them um and he was
2: oh go ahead
3: i feel like rizza sort of has a very uh he has his own, you know. He has his own sort of taste. Like he'll, he could make an album, and I could tell him, like these are my three favorite beats off your album, and he would maybe give me three different ones as his three favorites. So um, <laughs> I think Primo and I are more aligned in sort of what we think are are his best work.
2: I see. I like that. I think I did see on Twitter that RZA played like Gravel Pit, and that cost him some points um, <laughs> in some people's minds. I don't know. <laughs> gravel Pit's not well, the I like greatest. Pit. Yeah, uh, it's maybe not a song have, to choose for a showcase event like this. If you, but. Have,
3: if you have your 20 best RZA beats, I don't think you'll find Gravel Pit on there. Yeah, exactly.
2: I did see somebody saying that he, that cost him the win, uh, <laughs> but, but bumping Gravel Pit. Well, James, great stuff as always, man. Thanks for all the hard work you're doing at the site. Um you are the real MVP. So thanks. And thank you all for listening. We'll catch you next week on the RotoWire Prospect Podcast. <laughs>